0: We are back with Yukio Mishima, the man himself, to discuss patriotism, one of the most popular stories in Japan, and I can see why. It really brings out some of the elements of the Japanese culture that I kind of want to try to explain to the best that I can.
1: Oh, and get ready for some history, too, because we have to have that.
0: Crypto the history teacher, I can't stop him. Welcome (laughs) to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una.
1: And I am Patriot Crypto.
0: If you are new to the Codex Cantina, we take a conversational approach to the literature that we discuss and read. If you are down for stuff like that, please make sure you hit that subscribe button.
1: And as always, start off with publication information. Patriotism was published in 1961, and our version was translated by Jeffrey W. Sargent.
0: So we have real events being put into the story. The February 1936 events, you can look it up. We get this small vignette of an imperial soldier's life with this story. And the story is strangely beautiful and pristine for how graphic and horrific, I guess, for for what we're covering here today. I think this story
1: really foreshadows a lot of Mishima's life itself in his successful suicide I think that he's writing before he goes ahead and and fulfills that. I think that this is him fantasizing before actually doing the deed.
0: So I'm going to rearrange this a little bit, and I will not be capturing the sense of dread that is just oozing in each of these scenes. This is the bare bones plot. But newlyweds Lieutenant Takeyama Shinja and his wife Reiko are madly in love. The husband has made her a promise of loyalty, and she has promised him death as a soldier's wife, if comes to it. Months later, Japan's imperialism is under attack by rebels. The husband was called away by the army due to the incident on the 26th. Reiko imagined that she would soon die as well, thinking that her husband had already passed away. She began giving away her kimonos and wrapping up her personal effects. However, a disheveled Takayama returns. He told Reiko how his men under his command had turned traitor, and he knew he'd soon be ordered to kill them and just didn't think he would be able to face, attack, and kill his friends. They get all passionate, <laughs> observe each other's bodies naked, and do the dirty. Uh, but realistically, they cleanse themselves, prepare themselves for what was ultimately going to be a, a honor suicide. They recalled the last times when they had spent time with their friends, whom they would soon meet in the afterlife. On day three of the event, Lieutenant Takeyame Shinja and his wife, Reiko, committed suicide in their apartment. End plot.
1: Very sad story.
0: I have just this sense of confliction about how beautiful the prose really is, but how horrific the subject matter and and emotions conveyed in that is. It's, It's a very strange feeling. But uh, I think I wanted to start not with George Orwell because I like him or his patriotism stance, but because his definition of patriotism is very relevant for today's discussion. By patriotism, I mean devotion to a particular place and a particular way of life, which one believes to be the best in the world, but has no wish to force upon other people. Patriotism is of its nature defensive, both militarily and culturally. And I think that's important to talk about maybe what some of the different what maybe some of our differentiations are between patriotism and nationalism, because this is a japan struggle right we We are Japan, no matter what in this story, but it's what does old imperialism mean along with the westernization that's being thrust upon Japan and I know you're itching to jump into that, my history teacher, but allow me to indulge very quickly in some quick background on some Japanese culture because Well, I'm going to bring up some things that are kind of religious or natural to Japanese. It is so intertwined into their culture and their government. You you can't separate one without the other and, and talk about Both, it would it would be a disservice. Yeah, I
1: agree. I think real quick, the thing about nationalism is that usually, from a Western standpoint, it's seen as something that is our culture, our way of life, our government is the best, and you should do it the same as us. And that's very different from a nationalistic pride for many of our Eastern or Asian cultures and countries.
0: So indulge me, real quick, in going through these Shintoism. You notice there's probably a lot of white references, the idea of the white, the wife dressing up in all white, how they would cleanse themselves. This is part of the National Historic, it's called a religion now, just because that's what makes the most sense, but it's kind of a way of life, or at least it used to be, particularly in a long time back, that in terms of cleansing themselves of purity, you have that quote, the lieutenant felt there had been no impurity in the joy that they had experienced when resolving upon death
1: and if you're more interested in shinto we actually did a comparison between two different shinto books and we have a video we'll leave a link down in the description below so you can check that out and learn more about the uh, religion slash way of life
0: but one thing we didn't cover there was was the honor suicide where we i think most westerners have I don't know the right word to put on it because it's hard to generalize a topic like this. We don't think of suicide as something as honorable or that there is it's better to choose suicide in some situations. But that's not true in Japan. Going all the way back to I think it was 12th century, particularly in the time of samurai when you had this this warrior's code, Bushido, you know, the way of the warrior. And it was actually more honorable to die by your own sword, taking your own life, than to allow the enemy to take your life, right? Because if the enemy took your life, well, then you lost, right? You you weren't able to uphold the honor of protecting your lord or your land or or whatever the requirements were.
1: We come from a European background where the knights there, uh, opposite of their samurai counterparts in Japan, the knights... If they died in service of their Lord, it was seen as honorable. And we carry that over from the English and the Dutch and the French and everybody to this American idea of suicide as negative and and looked down upon because you are supposed to die in battle serving your country or serving your Lord. In
0: their eyes, it was more honorable to die a hero's death than to live a shameful or a slave life, if you will.
1: So I think it comes back to the answer of why. And I think it, it, you hit it on the head. It's to restore honor to one's family if something has gone awry in your life. And we have a wonderful quote from the story. The final moments of this resolute husband and wife displayed the kind of heroism that is said to make even the most ferocious deities
0: weep. And it's interesting, too, because I think maybe if you're not familiar with the process, this was something that was done in front of others. You did have spectators for when you committed this seppuku. And and the wife, you know, why did the wife do it? This is an old wartime process. If she had been captured by the other side, who knows what they'd make her do or what they do to her. So it was very common for actually the wives of samurais to also commit suicide. So this is all about that callback to that previous era honor of Japan why is that relevant why are we talking about 12th century Japan (laughs) well I think
1: it comes back to why this story itself is important is we will see a rise in in suicide because of this writer and this push against the westernization and the loss of Japanese culture in the mind of the older generation of Japanese soldiers
0: during World War II when you have an we have total war Right, the entire country is involved in the war process. You had these suicide bombers, and again, suicide became very popular for the generals or higher-ranking officers in the army when things went bad. And then again in 1970s, with with actually Yukio Mishima's death that we're, we're leading towards, we see again see this romanticism of, of seppuku, of dying for honor, dying for your country's values— why were people dying for their country's values at this point in time is the question my historian, Crypto.
1: So bringing up World War II, I think it's important to note the the westernization of Japan. So Japan had been an isolated nation for hundreds of years. We force our way in there, say you're going to trade back in the 1800s, and then slowly over the early uh, 20th century, they're able to build up their isolationist views again and then in World War II, they see an opportunity to extend their imperial rule outside into China and beyond, and with that, they... they They start pushing their nationalistic ideas onto the rest of the world. After they lose World War II, they're not able to go back into this isolationist view uh, that the the Band-Aid has been ripped off and the U.S. is like, we are going to rebuild you and you're going to be just like us. And they really do become an industrialized Western nation. And they lose some of their culture and their cultural identity as a result of that. And I think this is where we see Yukio pushing back against that as he's like, hey, we doing our own thing here. We don't want to do what you guys are doing.
0: Well, specifically, they lost the war, right? 1947, Constitution is written, where we basically strip the emperor. And again, going back to those ideals of Shintoism and their traditions, we're removing and changing their tie of religion and government and and changing the structure of the country, we we they had the war flags do you remember what the war flags looked like
1: yeah so they're they're white with the uh, the sun drop in the center
0: well and then they have the stripes coming out after 1945, yeah, when although, they lost when they lost the war, we forced them to retire that flag to have never to never fly again. Basically,
1: yeah, we take over a lot of Japan, and they're not allowed to have a military. Uh, they have to put in democracy. The emperor becomes just a figurehead. We really do make their country model themselves closely to the United States. And that is pretty heartbreaking, I think, to a lot of the individuals that were literally giving their lives for this war. And now they have to adopt the culture of the people that are basically oppressing them in their minds. And this is like a double slap in the face because their culture is you're supposed to die and not be put into servitude. And that's really almost what it is to them is we're forcing them into this semi-servitude lifestyle culture.
0: And we're going full circle now officially with this. Let's go to the novella where we have this quote. In the radiant, bride-like figure of his white-robed wife, the lieutenant seemed to see a glorious vision of all those things he had loved, and for which he was to lay down his life, the imperial household, the nation, and the army flag. So this is where Crypto and I have been kind of leading towards, the imperial household. If you didn't know what that was, that's the... The bloodline of the Emperor of Japan, the, the Shinto leader and head of the state, who is having his powers stripped of him just to be a figurehead compared to what he used to be as the country heads towards democracy.
1: And just like most countries of that ideal of having a king, a queen, an emperor, a czar, they're usually seen as divine beings. So for this enemy who's just beaten them to put their, their godlike figure into submission, is very, very detrimental to, I think, their psyche as a whole, as a culture, and as a people's.
0: And that's that second part after Imperial Household, he had the nation. And that's where we're talking about seppuku being the callback to the old way, an old honor restoration of life. They would rather die than be subjugated to this new lifestyle, basically is what's being forced upon them. And I think... This is my interpretation. This is very subjective, but I think that's kind of why we see the sensualness, the very visual and aesthetic play that Yukio Mishima puts in this. Yukio Mishima is very known for his aesthetic writing, right? We talked about that extensively in our talk about the Temple of the Golden Pavilion. Very interesting the way he used that in this one. Here, I almost feel like the the self-exploration and and ecstasy that this couple achieve in an own way a callback to the the glory of self-destruction the idea of seppuku and dying for these glorious moments it's time to gather these joyous activities which is very strange to think about i feel like from a western mindset where, where suicide is the opposite for us right
1: yeah i think you also could see it as that this is the death of Japanese imperialism and that Japan will be subjugated to the United States and the rest of the world from here on until, you know, 2020 and will never really truly gain their own identity as they had pre-World War II.
0: Right. And and I think to today I believe the constitution remains unamended, which makes it one of the oldest unamended constitutions in the world. But uh The last of the three things that he lists was the army flag, and that's why I asked if you knew what the Imperial War flag looked like. I'll put a picture up on the screen or put a link down below for you to look at it. But you'll notice also there's very clear depictions of the man dying in the army uniform, right, as opposed to a, a white robe. But the woman's wearing the white robe, and they very clearly describe the red being soaked up from it. And I couldn't help but kind of make, in my mind, imagine the the red stain with blood flowing out from it. Kind of looks like the imperial uh, war flag. W- war flag. Yeah, like in, almost in, like
1: a blood splatter, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's very symbolic the way he kind of painted that. And the fact that he called out those three specific things in that quote, I couldn't help but tie them together. And uh, as strange as it is, it's it's very haunting and beautiful at the same time, I would say.
1: Yeah, this story is kind of like an oxymoron where it's horrific and beautiful. Pretty ugly. (laughs) Whatever oxymoron you want to use, this story nails it
0: perfectly. And it goes back to what you're talking about that, So this came out in 61. Yukio Mishima, he became very rich, famous, tons of things. He eventually hired his own militia, attempted a very similar military coup, failed, and committed a public execution of himself. He committed seppuku in front of people, and in the 1970s saw a rise in suicide, almost like in a weird glorification of what Yukio Mishima was trying to do very interesting the influence this man had on a culture to do things like that
1: some people enjoy these conversations and they're unsure what to put down in the comments below just leave us a sword emoji and if you like this we'll leave a link for our other yukio mishima talks
0: now let's move into our subjective ratings about what we thought about this this is frequently regarded as one of japan's most popular or influential short stories and novellas Crypto, what are you going to rate this one?
1: I'm going to give this one a solid eight. I really, really enjoyed this story. I think that it is very unique. Uh, I love the use of uh, white and all the symbols and everything. I love the history aspect of it. And I, real, I, I love that there's a real message here from a real individual that was in pain and felt like that this was his only option based on his personal values And uh, I know in the West here, we don't necessarily share those values. And I don't want to say that if, you know, you're having suicidal thoughts, uh, please get help. Uh, We'll leave uh, the 800 number for the suicide hotline. You know, talk to somebody Uh, there. There's always something worth living for out there.
0: For me, it's strange. It's horrific, but it's weirdly beautiful, too. And I do enjoy how he tied together all these elements. It was very auto-fictional. And he didn't even—it didn't even happen yet. Like, like he predicted and almost viewed his own life in this story nine years before it happened. <laughs> it's strange the way this story kind of came about. So I, I'm not gonna rate it. I just—I I don't know what to say. It's very strange. It's interesting. If you—if you—if you, if you, if you are—if you are past the trigger warnings, I definitely think you should check it out. And that's what someone will say. So with that said, guys, if you want to subscribe to have more literature discussions like that, please make sure you hit the button down below. We post videos every Monday and Thursday with a bonus video on Tuesdays. Una out.
1: Peace.